Hey, I'm Rico. And I'm Jessica. And this is the Always the Critic podcast, where a couple of friends review the latest movies, except we literally have zero qualifications to do so. Today, we are going to be talking about two different movies. It's summer season, so it's pretty busy out there. So the first movie that we're going to talk about is Men in Black International. It is the sequel to a dormant franchise, I would say, is a polite way of saying that. And this does not do a very good job of waking it up. Oh. Uh, yeah, I know. And I think you're going to kind of agree with me on that one, though. Uh, really quick, the IMDb synopsis. The men in black have always protected the Earth from the scum of the universe. In this new adventure, they tackle their biggest threat to date, a mole <laughs> in the men in black organization. Their biggest threat to date? Yes, that is the official IMDb synopsis. No, okay. I'm not joking okay. at all. Uh, this was directed by F. Gary Gray, and it stars Chris Hemsworth, Tessa Thompson, Kamel Nanjiani, among others. Uh, so this movie, at least from our sentiment, I don't think you're going to get much of a positive vibe. And it shows not only among us, but among audiences and critics, because the... Critics were a little bit harsh. 24% on Rotten Tomatoes, 38% through Metacritic, and even audiences, 66% liked it through <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and it showed in the box office because it, it came in first place, but to a paltry $28.5 million. Yeah, I can't even visualize like $1 million, but $28 Oof. million in the grand scheme of things is like dismal. Yeah, especially when all your predecessors made at least $50 million their opening weekend. Yeah, So right. All right, so let's talk about it. What What is it that caused this? this? Because when we walked out, I think we walked out with a bit of an apathy towards the movie. Absolutely. I think we, wa- we walked out and we were like, eh, whatever. Um, that kind of attitude that's <laughs> yeah. like, well... I don't exactly feel like I wasted two hours, but I could have like gone the rest of my life without seeing that movie and it would have been totally fine. And that is one of the biggest sins that a movie can create is apathy. You, I'd rather love a movie or hate a movie, but don't make me feel indifferent about a movie. It's to- It totally made me feel blah yeah. in every sense of the word. Just like a big shrug. It, you know. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous how well, number one, Hemsworth is a funny guy. Obviously, good looking guy, but he's a funny guy as well. Mm-hmm. And he has established a chemistry with Tessa Thompson through the MCU. they they've been together in Ragnarok, they've been together Oh my in, god, I totally forgot. You forgot about that. But like when they're on screen together, they're pretty good. They they play off each other very well. This movie just like dampens that chemistry it's such a wet blanket of a movie like it's just like uh, fine and the funny and i put that in quotation marks was not funny at all actually oh i didn't crack a smile like oh yeah you you were just like at one point you said if you see me doze off don't wake me up yeah (laughs) (laughs) i did turn to you and i was like don't bother waking me up, please. Just let me sleep. Um, 
And like, we've seen a ton of movies together. Do I ever fall asleep in a movie? No, never. Do I ever yawn in a movie? No, I've never seen you yawn in a movie. Exactly. So. I was yawning. I was tired. Um, I was bored. Uh, all the bad things that you all just don't want. All the bad things. You want a reaction. This was like nothing. Just <laughs> flatline. Right. Now, I think the biggest problem with that is, I mean, we've been getting a bit of a fatigue here in bad sequels or just like very like meh reactions to franchises at least and this mm-hmm. is three weeks in a row i mean it started with godzilla it was just a big meh and getting bored through an action sequence which i mean it's <laughs> monsters fighting each other and you're getting bored that's number one then dark phoenix didn't really have a great reception even though you and i you know were m- much more positive on it than oh yeah for a- sure anyone else but it still did not have a positive response among most people. And mm-hmm. then now we have this. This nonsense. Uh. Is it everyone just trying to create a, or trying to revitalize franchises and things that people already know? Absolutely. Absolutely. People, I would say that Hollywood has a really big issue that's just running rampant. They're trying to revive old IP instead of creating new IP. And I mean, even studios that are known for creating beautiful, lasting Oscar worthy IP like Pixar, they've got Toy Story 4 coming out next week or in a few days. Exactly. In a few days. Now it's been apparently like received very well this, but that's not the only example that we have this year besides the ones we just mentioned. Just earlier this year, uh, Glass was basically a sequel to or a backdoor sequel to uh, <laughs> Unbreakable. That yeah. was in 2000, you know? And then. Right, it's 20 years old. It's 20 years old, pretty much. And the only company right now that has seen, you know, the benefit of being able to just dig into the past. And, you know, revive whatever franchise has been Disney. Disney is just like... Uh, according to box office numbers, yes. Right, exactly. Box office numbers. Um, because if we're talking about the actual quality of <sighs> their live action... movies make a, I mean, ridiculous, insane amount of money. People go out to see it. They take their kids to see it. it it's just a phenomenon. And people keep buying movie tickets and so they keep making them and there you have it yeah and you're right about that and i think it was just announced today if i'm not mistaken that we are going to be going back into the hunger games story (laughs) they're going to do a prequel on the hunger games so suzanne colin i am a huge fan i grew up on those books so and those movies um suzanne collins has been writing a prequel to the hunger games that's set um 60 something years prior to the events of the hunger games like the book uh, series with katniss and jennifer lawrence and all that so obviously they're gonna want to do i think a movie tie-in oh for sure you know because those movies were insanely successful and it launched jennifer lawrence's entire career so i mean it makes no sense for them not to uh, it's just crazy because now I, I thought that franchise was totally safe i thought it was done i thought that was done i thought they they wrapped it up nicely no harm done no foul and now they're bringing <laughs> it back 
Because who was clamoring for it? I don't know. Did you? I think you asked for it. Me? You totally wrote a strongly worded letter to Suzanne Collins and said, Suzanne, I really admire you, but I like what J.K. Rowling is doing so much better. Can you please take a hint and prequel your own books? I think you're getting the wrong Rico Barrison confused. Right. Because oh, you're right. that was not oh, me. Freak. That was a different was, one. Yeah, it was a different Rico. Yeah, it was right. a different Rico. And uh, one with so much more time (laughs) to dedicate (laughs) to writing a strongly worded letter to Lionsgate saying, hey, (laughs) I want more Hunger Games that no one is asking for. Right. But I, I can't really blame Hollywood because if you're taking the example of the biggest company in the world, which is Disney, they are making money off of it. Oh, yeah. They're the ones that are succeeding. So. I get that the rest of Hollywood, all the other studios are saying, hey, we need something that people know about. I think that they feel like original content is a risk. Yeah, they do. And um, so they're just like, oh, rework whatever. And that's how we end up with a bland, <laughs> a very, very, <laughs> very bland uh I wouldn't even say resuscitation of a franchise because it didn't do anything to resuscitate it at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was Men in Black International. Yeah. It's so weird because they're also doing like a fifth Indiana Jones, but that's bizarre because they didn't do a fourth. Did you hear no, about the, a fourth Indiana Jones? No. Why did they just skip over that number? That would be, that's kind of weird. I, I know that Hollywood likes to do some weird things with their titling, but like, just making Indiana Jones 5 when the last Indiana Jones was, you know, Last Crusade. That yeah. was the third one. So I don't know why they're jumping to five. I don't so. understand. Someone was telling me something about the Crystal Skull and I was like, you're wrong. Crystal Crystal what? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. What? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, all day all day i could do that yes that is such uh we love that by the way we love <laughs> doing that not not whatever that crystal thing is uh but so does harrison ford know that they're tossing that around anyway, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh so i really want to like the movie and the reason why i wanted to like it is because i like the people i like chris Hemsworth. i do okay. like Tessa Thompson and right. most of the cast actually even uh, right. you know you have Emma Thompson who we're going to be talking about later who's in another movie that we're going to uh-huh. this is the connection between our two movies is yeah. Emma Thompson um, yeah you're saying you know you like Tessa Thompson and I I don't like Tessa Thompson you don't like her no oh okay no I think she she's got a pouty face sort of way of acting uh. Is that um, if is that mostly from your experience with seeing her in Creed? No, it's from my experience of seeing her in Westworld. Um, oh, wait a second! I think that's another HBO show, actually. Wait a second! 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 Wait a what, second! What? 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 What are you talking about, Tessa Thompson, Westworld? I am ninety nine percent sure that Tessa Thompson is in Westworld. And in fact, I'm going to look it up right now just to, just for my sanity because you're not you're not talking about Thandie Newton, right? 
No, don't insult me. I know who Thandy is and I know who Tessa is. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Okay. Because then again, I, I can't really say it because I haven't seen Westworld, but I've never seen her in promotions okay, so. for Westworld. I've always <laughs> I've always seen Evan Rachel Wood. I've seen Thandie Newton. Yeah, no, you know. she is also in Westworld. Okay, and um, I just didn't like her character, and I thought she she just was so annoying to me. Mm. Not just the character, but just Tessa herself, and. I was just kind of over her and that the West her Westworld role is what kind of soured me on her because I, I thought she was fine in Ragnarok. Yeah. Didn't, she, she didn't bother me at all. No, 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 not at all. So every time I see Tessa, I'm like, oh, it's Tessa. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought she seemed very charismatic in the trailer. Okay. You know, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. For MIB International. And I was really digging like the missy uh track that's on the in the trailer that's in the trailer but um actually the movie like held none of that energy and spunk and didn't seem at all fresh missy was not played in the actual (laughs) movie so i just think it was kind of like a non-issue like it's just going to be a blip on like 2019 yeah, that that's probably the best way to describe it. The movie felt like it never got out of first gear. It was ne- it didn't have any like gumption, like it just no. didn't like commit to anything in particular, just seemed kind of like pandering and the plot was super thin and boring and like I just didn't I didn't buy into anything. I was just kind of like whatever. Even the main pairing between we just mentioned like these two that have already worked with each other, Hemsworth and Thompson, I was like yeah, that you could switch them out with anybody and it would be like the same. Yeah. Yeah, and that just speaks to how bad a script is or <laughs> yeah, exactly or I don't know if they had nothing to work with or if they just kind of showed up for the check, but it was pretty pretty mild um you know i was expecting like hot sauce like kind of fireworks almost because we're used to uh tommy lee jones and will smith right but this was not the dynamic that i was expecting and it was not as fun as i was expecting um like sorry about it (laughs) no need to be sorry because that's on them for creating A dull, bland. It was dull, movie. so dull. So, uh, speaking of rating it dull or rating it poorly, uh, Letterboxd, other people who have seen the movie and rated the movie, uh, on average, it was a 2.6. Mm. That's not a good score. It makes perfect sense to me. What about you? What what score did you give it? Um, I gave it a two a two <laughs> two out of five yeah yeah i am just a tad bit above you i'm at a 2.5 um right you know there's i guess a couple of comedic I you know mean, what things. you you like this franchise to begin with which we'll we'll talk about okay uh, in a second like is a strong word there's one that i like from it it's not the entire franchise, but we'll get into that. All right. Okay. We'll get Fine. into that. We'll get into, we'll look at, you know, back into the past that the franchise itself, and we'll talk about the, our superlatives, 
basically our little exit survey. And we will do that right after this. The greatest trick. Houston, we have a problem. I am the father. I see dead people. The devil ever pulled. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Was convincing the world. You can't handle the truth. He didn't exist. Oh, what's in the box? All right, let's go ahead and let's talk about the actual franchise. Let's go back in time to... 1999. Now I'm blanking on the year Boy, that the I first don't know. one came out. <laughs> I don't know. No, nope, I was wrong. Out. 1997. Oh, okay, 97. Sorry. So, I think you asked this. Isn't question. that the year the Marlins won the World Series? It is. It is that same year. That was the last time I paid attention to sports. <laughs> they have won it since then. Whatever. Like, <laughs> so good for them, I guess. So, I think you wanted to ask this question, was this franchise ever any good? I did, because as we were walking out of the theater, um, me and Miguel, I guess, were kind of like, yeah, but in looking back at, like, watching the first Mission Mission Impossible, um, the first Men in Black Much movie. Much better franchise. A, so... The first movie, I don't remember being like blown away and like, oh my God, this is the best movie ever. I just kind of feel like, yeah, it was fine. Like that was watchable. I didn't feel like overwhelmed. I don't know what the word is. It just was generally memorable and I liked Will Smith in it more than anything. Well, yeah, he's he is the selling point of that movie. Yeah, so um, we were just kind of throwing back and forth like, well, was the franchise ever amazing? And I don't think so. I think that this is one of those that benefited extremely from Will Smith and his persona rather than the script being amazing and the plot being a driving force. I think people remember the vibe of Men in Black more than more than they remember like specifics on the movies. I think you you are touching on. I think what the biggest selling point was is that you have a superstar starring in a brand new series because it was it was brand new at that time. Plus, you get a Hollywood veteran in Tommy Lee Jones, mm-hmm. and you pair them up, and it's an odd couple slash cop film slash sci-fi it was almost like a brand new genre pretty much but the biggest thing about it is that it took the good things from past movies like it took uh you know the the veteran and the new guy it took that dynamic and it worked very well because you have tommy lee jones excels at being like the grumpy guy Mm -hmm. i think he's perfect for that and then you have Will Smith, who is like, at that time, he was like a mile a minute, just like talking, didn't know when to shut up. Also, at the same time, super charismatic. Yeah. Like you wanted to watch Will Smith on screen. Yeah. And so that plus the fact that it was a brand new thing that you had not seen before. It was like these brand new aliens who were all among us you know they were hiding and yeah and i want to pause really quick because you touched on tommy lee jones and will smith like that cool dynamic between these two and it almost didn't star them 
is it was gonna be Clint Eastwood and Chris O'Donnell. Oof. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. I cannot imagine Can you Clint imagine? Eastwood. <laughs> Clint Eastwood as the seasoned jaded pro nah, and dude. then Chris O'Donnell as the young energetic rookie. I get him. I get the Chris O'Donnell one, but Clint Eastwood would not make any sense there. Oof. They dodged <sighs> the bullet know. with that one. Oh my god, for sure. So I like that that initial um coupling of Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith. I thought that was genius, right? Like that's why you go and like sit through this like kind of mediocre movie and like bad effects that haven't aged well. <laughs> it's because of Will Smith and it's because of Tommy Lee Jones. You either like both or you like one. Right. No, you're right about that. And the effects have not aged well, but I think the movie is hilarious. And it's not long either. It is an hour, 38 minutes. Like, they get in and and they get out. Bless. So I love that. That's my ideal runtime. Plus, they don't... If it's it's during the week, have I told you this? If I'm, like, sitting down to watch a movie after work or something, I can't sit there and, like, watch a two-hour movie. It has to be below two hours. And if it's an hour and a half, like, better believe I'm watching it. So... And funny that you mentioned that because this weekend I actually watched a few movies besides the ones that we watched and yeah. I just kept scrolling and I was like under two hours, under two hours, under, t- uh, yeah. there we go. Yeah. So I did the same thing. Exactly. It, it It's a qualifier. Yeah. Unless like it is like an all timer, like I have to see this movie type of thing. Right. It's got to right. be two hours or less. Seriously. Yeah. Um, but back to this, um, We've obviously seen that dynamic before of the older, you know, wise or sometimes jaded uh, worker or, you know, cop. And you have the new, young, energetic rookie. Lethal mm-hmm. Weapon springs to mind. Yeah. You know, 100%. Riggs and Murtaugh. You have Seven, where you have Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Training Day, where you have young Ethan Hawke with... Uh, very corrupt Denzel Washington. <laughs> oh, I just watched another one actually that also has Morgan Freeman. Um, Gone Baby Gone. Gone Baby Gone. A little Gone. bit. Okay. There's a particular scene that I'm like, oh yeah, that's kind of like uh, Affleck doesn't know what he's getting into, and like Morgan Freeman's like laying it down for him. Um, yeah. So yeah, we like these pairings. These are popular pairings. And this one is a very fun pairing. Because oh for sure because as much as grump, as grumpy as Tommy Lee Jones is he's actually delivers some really funny lines and it's just the way he you know presents them or the way he says them mm-hmm. like they just come off really funny yeah so I that's think one. that um oh yeah what were we gonna say no no I was gonna say that's one of the reasons because so another reason I I think that the original movie kind of like broke new ground was that. It presented this concept that everyday buildings, landmarks, celebrities even, these are all covers for the alien population living on Earth. They're hiding in plain sight. And that's like crazy because it's almost like the whole existence of Earth, as you know, it is a lie because you're not being told the whole truth. In fact, you're being actively like lied to and your memory wiped just to preserve this massive secret. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think what was really cool, especially in in 1997, 
is that there were so many tabloid magazines that would, you know, perpetrate all these things of like, man in Kansas sees UFO and, you know, <laughs> comes back to Earth 22 years later, whatever it is. And so the movie takes those magazines and presents it at truth for the gag. And it works mm. throughout the entire movie. It's it's really funny. Yeah. Um, I think at one point they start the movie in a cornfield or something. Yep. Yeah, they and do. And that's a very common, like, uh, trope, right? That, to think that aliens are going to visit this remote, like, farmhouse kind of deal. Yeah. With, like, surrounded by cornfields. Like, uh, what's the movie I'm thinking of? Uh, Science. Science. With Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix, that's one where their house is like a picturesque, ideal place for aliens to just like pop up. Americana. Mm. Yeah, Americana. I like that term. And um, besides, you know, the everyday buildings and everything almost masquerading as a way for aliens to hide. But then you have some pretty cool weapons and gadgets. I think from the original movie, the biggest gag was... The small gun that Will Smith has. And as soon as he shoots it, he just gets blown back like 10 feet. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. it's so powerful. One of the great. I like that. I like the, that what the bigger weapons are not as strong as the smaller weapons. And it's a, isn't that just playing into, um, the whole concept that bigger is better. Yeah. And it's flipping it on its head. Right. It's a joke. Yeah. It's a joke. And it's a joke that kept delivering as the I movie know. went on. And the movie yeah. even like shows that gun. Um, Men in Black International shows that gun. Tessa Thompson's holding it and she was like, no, like I'm not <laughs> using this. So a, a, a little visual gag to the past. Mm. And I think the last thing is that these guys are wearing suits. They look sharp as hell. Yes, they do. So I I think that's something that's something because I feel like there's a mystery to like government uh, agents and uh, workers wearing suits and dealing with aliens like that's crazy. It's kind of like they're somehow professional. This is their job. I, I don't know. But I also think it calls back to like James Bond and yes. these kind of like spy um espionage kind of movies right and so it kind of calls to that but this this sometimes makes a farce out of it because of like the crazy scenarios they put themselves into whether it's like blowing up an alien all of a sudden they're covered in slime Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh you know there's one where Tommy Lee Jones is he pulled over they pulled someone over and Will Smith is like fighting off and he's like being tangled up by an alien and <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones is still talking to the person in the car as if nothing. Right, right. Another day. Another know. day and Will Smith is just like being thrown around like 15 feet in the air and stuff. So uh, little things like that, I think, is what make Men in Black like very fun movie to watch. Yeah, uh, the first I think one. it's silly. It's oh, silly. Yeah, it's, no, no, it's silly. I, I don't think it's like... A groundbreaking. They have a talking pug. Right, exactly. <laughs> so How much I don't more think silly it's... can you get? Now we're both going to be silent. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't think it's breaking any ground. No, 
but it's it's funny and it's and they're quick Uh, like we don't need a full backstory like we don't know the full backstory of will smith's character we know he's a cop that's Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. you know we don't need all the backstory that's what adds to a runtime we don't need it now yeah back to this movie men in black (laughs) international uh do you want to just like quickly say like okay Tessa Thompson's character as the trailer shows was uh, visited by an alien and her parents is her parents minds got wiped of the alien encounter except she was spared and she actually kind of helped the alien fugitive like out yep. to safety. She spends the rest of her life um trying to crack the code and find this government or just this agency that deals with aliens and like polices something these creatures pretty much she Um, knows that there is something out there like some type of agency but she is looking for them and can't find them like she right she goes from her call center job yeah she's able to track like an incoming it looks like an asteroid or something. And then she knows from its trajectory that it's sentient. And so she is like, oh, it's an alien. And she literally walks out of her office and just goes straight home to <laughs> hack into NASA, I think. Pretty much. And figure out where this asteroid is landing. And, and then go she follow follows Men it. in Black operatives yeah (laughs) yeah she follows them she's able to you know uh sneak her way into the building but you know they realize she's not one of them but she convinces emma thompson i found you you know right so they put her on probationary status pretty much yeah so they tried to make a point that tessa thompson doesn't need to go through that whole rigmarole of recruitment like will smith had to go through right she has earned the right to be there because she found men the men in black she found agency um sure sure um (laughs) exactly sure um then on the other side you have chris hemsworth who's already an agent he's an agent in london he's part of their branch in london and apparently him and Liam Neeson, who his code name is High T. Um, <laughs> That's probably one of the one of the better like things about this movie. It, it really is. Uh, they apparently had saved the world. Uh, we see a flashback of them like on a mission in Paris, and well, that's how the movie starts. Is like right. they're they're yeah. on the, the Eiffel Tower, and apparently they're trying to stop like some race from coming in. And throughout the movie, you hear them say. How they stopped them. It was like with our will, I believe. It was like with our will and two whatever weapons that they had, pretty much. Yeah. And so you keep hearing that throughout the movie and Hemsworth repeats it. Uh, And throughout the movie, uh, there's, you know, an assassination attempt on an alien. Uh, You have this alien group called the Hive that is here to, I guess destroy or take over there it wasn't clear what they wanted to do i think they were there for like the jewel thing that um the gungan had yes 
The Gungan. You cannot come and tell me that wasn't a Gungan because it, really it looked just was. like one. Misa. Stop. <laughs> um, yeah, so he dies up in the club and uh, the aliens break dance in order to complete. <laughs> I, I can't, like, it's not even like believable like okay. you know what i'm saying yeah let's let's basically cut to the chase um the movie is pretty much telegraphed <laughs> who the villain's going to be and who the mole is and it turns out it's it's liam neeson it's high t uh it's pretty obvious early on yeah that, that he got infiltrated while um during that paris mission or during the paris mission while hemsworth is I guess he's he detained. was neuralized. <laughs> right. He got neuralized at some point and um God, I don't even care to like explain like the plot because Because it's 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 like it's just it's boring. Just telegraphed. Like, it's boring. Let's let's try to focus on positives if we can. Uh what is something that you liked if if you had to take away something from this movie? I thought Tessa Thompson, not Tessa Thompson, Ron Thompson, Emma Thompson was great. I just wish she was in the movie for longer than five minutes. Yeah, I, I think you can count it all. It's less than five minutes that she's in the movie. Um, What else did I like? Um, How about Kumail Nanjiani doing voiceover work? I thought he was work? probably the funniest part of the movie. Yeah, he was. I think. Um, and I don't know if they did a motion cap on him. At all? I I doubt it. I really doubt it. I don't it. know. His movements seem kind of fluid, and if it wasn't, then fine. If it was, great. But there's these things called computers in 2019 that oh, can you know animate oh, stuff. So you want to talk about computers? Because <laughs> <laughs> we're in the year 2019. It, it's some pretty impressive stuff. You should get wow. out there. Wow. Okay. <laughs> fine fine um yeah nanjani was was good i liked him a lot um rebecca I ferguson i kind of don't like rebecca ferguson. <laughs> so she is the four-armed lady that's in the trailer right rebecca ferguson is well known for being a recurring character in the mission impossible series which we happened to mention earlier um, by by mistake. Freudian um, slip. Freudian slip, but I guess not. Um, she uh, is wasted, pretty much. Yeah. Um, she's hidden under a horrendous wig. And the fight sequence where she has four arms seems like it's underutilized. Like, she could do a lot more with those four arms. And it's kind of embarrassing how she just kind of... They're like backup arms versus like she's truly using them all to defend. And whatever. So yeah, uh, she's uh, apparently an ex-girlfriend for uh, Hemsworth. Yeah, for Hemsworth's character. Also, like kind of like a dragon lady, like in charge of some sort of like alien underbelly. Yeah, like an underground arms dealer type of thing, but for alien tech, pretty much. Whatever. I, yeah. I, I poor thing. She she just needed the check, I guess. I mean, everybody because in this they're movie, talking apparently. about all of these. Like, it's one of those things where it's like show don't tell. Yeah. Because it's like, and 
you know, Star Wars prequels suffer from the same thing where like they're talking about missions that they've been on and we don't see these missions. Well, Hemsworth is trying to, you know, fake reconcile with what's her face after having a relationship with her. And he kind of like has an emotional like connection to her. Like when she he's explaining a little bit of the relationship to Tessa Thompson in the desert. Yeah. And I'm like, if it was that important to you, he's like, he basically was like, I loved her. Yeah. And this movie does almost nothing to convey that. Nothing to convince me that there is actually some history there. She's just like annoyed with him. And I wish I knew why. Like, I have no idea what happened. Right. No, because they never give us like a true backstory as to what happened with them. We know they were together, but that's it. It's just... Anyway, um, let's. What else did I like? Let's keep going. Let no. Let's I go did, ahead and move on to categories because I don't oh, think we're gonna fine. find very much to like about this. Movie. I don't have much for these. Like, yeah. I think I know what your favorite uh, moment or scene in this movie is. Oh, the credits. <laughs> when the when the credits started rolling, I was like, okay, Autobots, uh, let's roll out here. We don't need to stay for anything else please i mean luckily there was nothing else get out of the dark anyway Uh, honestly that was like my favorite moment yeah um, because of the whole thing nothing really stands out besides that like in terms of memorable or fun no No. what's the let me ask you this like what is like you're the most memorable part of mib one two and three for you if you can name something at all. Okay, so in MIB one, I could name a few things from MIB one. Okay. MIB one has Vincent D'Onofrio, who is like yeah. overtaken by the an bug. alien, and like yeah. his skin is like in a weird shape. Oh um, yeah, he it, that physical performance is amazing. It really is. Um, yeah. Obviously, uh, Will Smith with the little gun. Uh, that's <laughs> hilarious to me. Um, Oh, the memorable part of the car with the red button and they're in the Holland Tunnel and they're able to, you know, oh, ride I along. Remember that. The you don't remember that? That's like where we saw like for the first time it was like a traffic jam and they needed to get and Will Smith was panicking like, man, you can't take the tunnel. It's, you know, it's, uh, you know, traffic hour pretty much. And uh, rush hour. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> And Tommy Lee Jones. Traffic hour. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's rush right, hour. I'm going to bust you. Yeah, um, and so Tommy Lee Jones tells him hit the red button, and so he finally okay. does, and that's when it. He's not wearing a seatbelt, so like he's like flipping all inside the car while it's going oh, upside down. Yeah, there's a lot of visual gags in that movie. It's it's mostly visual. Um, this stuff. I know. So. Who's that guy from She's the Man? Where he goes, "Welcome to Illyria." Welcome, 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 welcome. Who's that guy? Because he's also in the first Men in Black. Uh, you're not talking What's, about. He's a comedian. Tony Shalhoub, are you? I don't know. I'm Let blank- me look it up really fast. Yeah, you look that up. Uh, the last thing I will mention about Men in Black One, because I'll be honest, the other two just barely ring a bell, except for the fact that I know that Josh <laughs> Brolin played. A younger version of Tommy Lee Jones. It's David Cross. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about now. I know which one. Yeah. But uh, out of the other movies, like two and three, the only thing I really remember is that 
Josh Brolin played a younger version of Tommy Lee Jones. Supposedly really? somehow. Yeah, because Will Smith goes back in time in part three. He does what now? Yeah, he goes there's back time in time. Yeah, in there's time travel Yeah, there's time travel. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Ah, uh, well. And uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the last thing I remember is, yeah, that, um, no, is... No, it's a dormant franchise. I couldn't have been at that time. Never mind. I thought Pitbull like made a song for that. Oh hell no! One. So I, <laughs> I remember. Um, I you have good moments for MIB one. It's MIB two that I feel like I remember it a lot more than I should because this is a kind of a tangent. But um, the biggest crush that I had at the time was like a fan, a family friend. And we would often go to the movies all together, like the, both of the families. And I remember the family couldn't come to the movies to watch Men in Black 2. Oh, my God. And I was, like, devastated. And so I was, like, crying in the theater watching <laughs> Men in Black 2. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. It was such a weird formative moment for me. So I remember watching Men in Black 2. And I remember Rosario Dawson was in the movie. That's right. She was. The, Yes. And at the end of the movie, she goes, she's like some princess from alien princess. Right. And Tommy Lee Jones is like, she goes, it rains whenever I'm sad or something. And he goes, it rains because you're sad, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I about lost it in the theater. I was so emotional. Uh... God. So that's the end of my story. And I was right. Pitbull did make a song for the third Men in Black. It's called Back in Time. No! And I'm just going to no. press play to see like how bad it is. No I, I really want to know. Don't. How, yeah, I really want to know how bad this uh, uh. song is. It may take a second because, of course, ads. So, but. <laughs> Pitbull, what are you doing? What, what are, are you, you doing, doing indeed? Oh, man. So let me see if we have any other notes. I okay, think, while it's going, what um, are some things that could have made this movie better? Things that could have made this movie better. I have two things that I'm really upset about. So Go the ahead. talking pug. Yes. Was just like a cameo. And so were the sassy talking bug aliens. Yeah, you only get like a brief glimpse of them getting off of the subway. Uh, both of these characters are on the movie poster. Why? <laughs> Why? It's that thing that we were talking about. <sighs> People, they need something that they're familiar with. So let's find whatever we know it that we have. It is absolutely infuriating because they were reduced to like a two second thing. Oh, it was... It, it was embarrassing. So that's really annoying. They could have actually had them in the movie, like doing something more substantial. For sure. Uh, Missy Elliott making a cameo as an alien. Oh, they missed that on that. They missed it. They did Ari- Ariana Grande instead. Because I guess she's more Because I guess she, she could pass for an alien. Fine. I guess so. Fine. If we're going to dig on Ari. But... Missy Elliott, though, with that song on the trailer. Yes. Come through. And then lastly, I think Emma Thompson could have had more to do. Poor thing. She swoops in in the beginning and at the end. Less than There's five only minutes. so many movies that I can take Liam Neeson just like being Liam Neeson. 
You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? He is Liam Neeson. There is no like high T ha ha ha, but like, no, that's Liam Neeson. (laughs) No, no ifs, ands, or buts. So another thing that could have made this movie better, having it actually be international. They went to Europe. Yeah, they went to London. Well, they went to Marrakesh. Oh, please. Yeah, I know. I was trying. Please. I was trying. I know. I know. But it was, please. <sighs> you got that Pitbull song? Uh, I do. Uh, if you give me a second here, I will press play. Hold on just a second. I'm like but holding my mouth. because You're, of- you're holding your. Okay. Because I'm so. All right. Hold on one second. No. Do we have to? We don't have to. But I Ugh. think it would be hilarious. Okay. All right, I am playing it now. (laughs) From Cape Canaveral, because the movie, yeah. For shame. I think that's enough. <gasps> Did you hear that like honky tonk piano from like Toys R Us in the background? Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. And uh, yeah, oh, that, that was the movie song. Poor thing. Yeah. So uh, it will it won't match Ugh. up to the original Men in Black by Will Smith. Because that's a banger. Wow. Wow. But I think we're done with this movie. I think we're done with this movie. We gave our ratings. We don't recommend it. If you like Tessa Thompson, if you will watch anything as long as Thor's abs are in it, then great. Like, do it. But But other than that, that's it. That's all What a dud. Yeah, what a dud. What a dud. But right after this, we will be right back and talk about another movie that Emma Thompson was in, and that is Late Night. We'll be right back after this. All right, so welcome back. And now we're going to talk about the movie Late Night. This is a brand new comedy written by Mindy Kaling, the IMDb synopsis. A late night talk show host suspects that she may soon lose her long running show. That is very concise. And that's it. That's all we get. (laughs) Uh, Directed by Nisha Ganatra. Like I mentioned before, Mindy Kaling wrote this movie. She co-stars alongside of Emma Thompson and John Lithgow. Uh, This movie. And Hugh Dancy. Hugh Dancy. Hugh Dancy is definitely in it. And we will definitely mention him later on. Uh, audiences uh, enjoyed it the people who did watch it um, 80% on critics 71% Metacritic and the audience gave it a 79 overall so uh, pretty sweet pretty good uh, it uh, didn't do that well at box office but I didn't think a movie like this would because it was such a small release uh, yeah. it did 5.2 million uh, good for ninth place <laughs> 
Um, but again, this is not a movie that was competing to win the weekend for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I really enjoyed this movie. I was actually, Me too. I was a little surprised because I, I had heard good things, but I, I wasn't sure how was I going to feel about it. Right. I, I felt the same way. I was like, not into the movie, you know, you kind of show up expectant or really excited to watch a certain movie. And when I showed up to the movies, I was like, uh, I don't know about this. Like, I'm not really excited to watch this. I'm not really passionate. And then I left and I was like, that was amazing. It was really good. Yeah. I enjoy I, that quite a bit. What I, what I really enjoyed about the movie is that it is sharp writing. Like super sharp. Mindy like Kaling. Boss of the wall. Like, yeah. She knows no what she's barred. doing. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was, um, what do the kids call it? It was woke? Sure, kids <laughs> call it woke, yes. I think that it was, um, you know, we we talk a lot about how um, the way that society is now and certain topics that are now very popular and maybe even controversial to talk about, those things end up in movies and they feel kind of forced sometimes. And this movie doesn't feel forced. It feels very tasteful and very aware of who it's speaking to and what it's speaking about. I agree. And it doesn't feel like, um, I, I don't feel like it was forced at all. Like, you know, how, um, certain lines are like, oh, that was definitely because of whatever, like, that's very feminist centric or whatever. Yeah. This what one, mean. it was more like everything is absolutely true and the portrayals are painfully accurate and the characters are kind of over the top sometimes, but then are, are they really? Because they seem kind of realistic to me. So I think it was um, kind of an eye opener and really refreshing because it was so funny and it, it didn't like, I don't want to say take itself too seriously. Like maybe that's the right. It didn't take itself too seriously. And it wasn't like it was campy or anything. No, it was just kind of like slice of slice of life a little bit. Cause everything that's happening on screen, like where's the lie? You've definitely seen this happen um, in late night in entertainment world in the tabloids and um, just with the me too movement, it's called into question here with, you know, Emma Thompson's character. And I don't know, it just felt very empowering at the end of the day. I I definitely agree. At least for me. Yeah, um, no, being no. lady. It just felt very empowering to see something play out very realistically. And it wasn't, I think people might compare it to like Devil Wears Prada. That one I have been seeing. And I, I'll be honest, like I even compared uh, Emma Thompson's character of, uh, Catherine to Miranda Priestly a little bit. Right, right. Um, exactly. I think that you can draw some comparisons between the two movies, but honestly, if we're talking about straight laughs and um, likability of characters and just character arcs, because I feel like that was a strong point. Like all of the characters had an arc to them. Yes. Uh, and that's really hard to pull off. It's really hard to pull off because this movie, obviously, you have Emma Thompson and you have Mindy Kaling. The, so you have the late night host who has been doing this for a couple decades 
and her show is starting to feel stale to the point that the network is looking to possibly replace her. And then on top of that, um, to try to remedy the solution, they go about trying to make a diversity hire. They try to hire a woman and that's where Mindy comes in. Mindy Mm -hmm. has been able to find her way into the interview room. She's been able to get herself an interview for this job and she happens to luck out to get the job. Mm-hmm. So you have those two characters, but then on top of that, you have the entire writer's room where you've seen these characters in other movies, like this, these type of characters who are very like um, chauvinistic in their views. Like mm-hmm. they don't think you could tell that they don't think women can be funny. Uh, yeah. And everything is about the guys and it just feels very It's a guy's frat, club. And I don't like a think frat. that, yeah, it feels like a little frat party. It feels like a, the guys club. And, you know, as a, as a woman in like and an the entertainment industry, I, I work for an entertainment company and luckily my company really isn't like that. But sometimes for some things I'm like, yeah, I'm like the only woman in the room or, Hey, my coworker who's also a lady is like way far on the other side of the room or they didn't come tonight. And like, I'm feeling like totally left out. Yeah. And it's, and that's the feeling that they're trying to portray on screen. I think they do it successfully, especially when Mindy Kaling walks in for her, like she just got hired and literally her interviewer, the showrunner takes her in to meet the writers, the other writers, her coworkers, and they start giving her their coffee orders. Yeah, because that's what they assume that she is. Because they assume that she is not going to be a writer on the same playing field as as them, same level. Which is a sad reality that a lot of different networks tv shows go through nowadays you you've been trying to at least in the news you'll hear that you know there's a female showrunner and now they're trying to make changes in the way that a tv show is run and what writers they're hiring and diversity hires it Mm -hmm. it sucks that it's been that long that we've gotten to the point where we can look back and say special yeah yeah and it's special when there's a female showrunner, a female writer of a show, let alone, you know, management and late night hosts. Like, it's very real. I think that what they're showing is very real. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, but this movie is really funny. I, I think there's- that's what's so weird is that they've happened to strike this nice balance between telling a good we're showing a good story Uh, making you laugh and making you think like this is actually an ethics issue, right? Yeah. The entire movie. So, and then everyone has an arc, everyone changes, everyone's a different person at the end. It's like, I don't know how they managed to do it, but it's really, it's well done. Kudos. Kudos to Mindy Kaling for writing this screenplay. I mean, she's had uh, plenty of experience writing, not only for, uh, the Office, when she she wrote for The Office, but on top of that, she had her own show. She had the mini project where she was a showrunner and head writer for the show. So mm-hmm. uh, it definitely shows that she knows what she's doing, at least when she's writing the script. Yeah. So mm-hmm. very well done by her. Um, now, this movie 
gives us a female late night talk show host, which mm-hmm. it's funny because we've never had one for a late that's, night that's, network. Yeah, that's like friggin' yeah, Bigfoot. Exactly. <laughs> like we had uh, female leads in on basically on cable. So yeah, or daytime, uh, would you say daytime? daytime as well? But I was trying to like figure like the late night comedy aspect of it. So like, for example, we've had like Chelsea Handler had her own show for a few years. It was on cable. Uh, you've had Michelle Wolf, who she is a comedian that did the correspondence dinner uh, just recently. Uh, and they were trying to do it through Netflix. They were trying to do a late night show through Netflix it got canceled mm. because it, they haven't quite figured that one out yet and then most recently we have Samantha B who's on TBS she has her own show that is a late night it's more political than your normal late night talk show but that's probably the closest facsimile that we'll get to the character that Emma Thompson is playing yeah. and it's funny that Emma Thompson's character has been a late night talk show host since like 1992 in the movie mm-hmm. when we've never seen one in real life. Like the the only other person who's ever had a late night talk show on a network who was female was Joan Rivers. And it was like seven months when Fox <laughs> was just starting and the show got canceled. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. and no one has ever tried again. Yeah, well, oh. I really don't know the history of like late night, so I'm really glad that you you're so well versed in this. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I would say that I I enjoy not only like na- late night because of the fact that I think late night is where you f- get most of the interactions or most of the bits involving celebrities and involving movie mm-hmm. stars, um, yeah. and you know a lot of stuff goes viral through late night television. But yeah. it's also an offshoot of like Saturday Night Live. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, another late night type of show. A little different, yeah. obviously. But uh, so the history. For those really, who don't know, like Rico is like a huge SNL fan. Yes, I am. I've been to the like show a couple times. Like an SNL buff. Yeah. So I've I've been to the show a couple times. So like I understand like the history, like everything that happened between uh, Letterman and Jay Leno. Uh, that huge rivalry that they had, um, and then leading. don't you have a few books on like SNL? Like I who do. buys books on SNL? Yeah, I do. <laughs> anyway, there, just to put book. it in perspective for you guys. Yeah, just to put it in perspective, but uh, it's a lot of the things that the movie is touching on. You know, like the movements of today. So, like the Me Too movement mm-hmm. does get like talked about, and you know the issues of having an all male staff you know, yeah. as a comedy writing. So all those things are even current issues. It's now that we're starting to see different, but it's, it's interesting seeing it from the perspective of, Hey, we have a female talk show host, even though we've n- never had one in real life, pretty much. Yeah. I think it's an yeah. interesting concept. It was, I, I don't know. I thought it was really fleshed out. It really was. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, I think they did a very well, a uh, very, a great job pretty much in laying out what happens to a lot of talk show hosts who at when they start out a lot of these talk show hosts you know they're great and they're edgy and they're you know their their comedy is awesome and then as time goes on a lot of these 
Um, yeah, they get they, lazy, they get complacent, they get yeah. older, they get tired, all the things. And yeah, Letterman is one that this movie kind of speaks directly to because in his last <laughs> you know few years, that man was mailing it in. Uh, and so this show kind of, or this movie kind of like is a way. She has that trajectory. Yeah. Has that trajectory of Letterman almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if if you're trying to find like a real life comparison to the character that we're talking about, David Letterman is probably the closest you'll get. Mm. And so Mm. now, um, I think we could go ahead and jump into spoilers. Uh, before we do though, uh, what did you give this movie in terms of a score? So you're going to be very surprised. I gave it four hey. out of five stars. Yeah. Nice. I just thought it was so smart. Um, and then Emma Thompson is like a friggin' vision. Like I thought she commanded that role and she fit so well. It was stellar casting and her playing off of Mindy Kaling was painful and wonderful. It's just a joy to behold. Like every time Emma Thompson was on screen, I was just like riveted. I thought she was so powerful. Um, and it, ultimately, I think it's rewatchable. I think so, too. So, so I give points for that. So four to five stars. Uh I actually rated it the same thing. I gave it a four no out of way! five. No yeah. way! I thought you were going to go lower. For no. sure, I thought you were going to give it three and a half. No, no, no. I gave it a four out of five because I think it's it's so well written throughout the movie. Uh, I think that not just in the funny parts, but there's also moments of a bit of reflection for the main character of Emma Thompson. For sure. Where you, you, you could see her struggle. And I think it was very well done the way that was done. And overall, it was just a very enjoyable movie. Um, according to Letterboxd, to the other people who have seen this movie and rated it, on average, the average score was a 3.3. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, decent decent number. Um, mm-hmm. But for the most part, I think it was no very enjoyable. So yeah. right after this, we will go ahead and we'll dive deeper into actual moments and jokes in the movie and uh, things that we really liked or maybe some things we didn't like, but we will talk about it right after this. The greatest trick. Houston, we have a problem. I am the father. I see dead people. The devil ever pulled. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Was convincing the world. You can't handle the truth. He didn't exist. Oh, what's in the box? All right, let's go ahead and let's talk about our favorite moments, uh, dive into basically wherever we want to go in the movie. Uh, you did mention Hugh Dancy earlier. Oh my God. So I have this theory. Okay. So let me just say like what happens with Hugh Dancy's character. So he, um, is also a fellow writer in the writer's room and he seems very nice and welcoming to Mindy Kaling and he is pretty flirty with her. And what ends up happening is he's basically the office fuck boy. And Mindy Kaling ends up like coming to her senses a little late. I would say she never actually sleeps with him. She shows up um, at his house with cupcakes and vino. And he already has somebody upstairs. So she's like, wow, kind of like just, you know, realizing that he doesn't care about her really and he's just like a douchebag so the biggest twist is that not only is he a fuck boy but he actually 
had an affair with Emma Thompson's uh, character. Yeah. And that blows up in their faces. He is basically gets off scot-free. Um, the media doesn't lambast him. The media sinks its teeth into Emma Thompson's character and says, oh, Me Too has, the Me Too movement has arrived for Emma Thompson. And they just kind of obviously slay her um, and crucify her in the media for having an affair. She's married to John Lithgow, Lithgow in the, in the movie. And it's a very tough situation. And my theory is that Hugh Dancy is becoming um, Hugh, God, Hugh, Hugh Grant. There you go. You found it. I found it um, because he was basically Hugh Grant's character in um, Bridget Jones's diary. Yeah. Right. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So I pretty I much gotcha. that like sly character that um, is obviously good looking, obviously very confident and um, knows how he affects women. And so he uses that to his advantage and manipulates people accordingly uh so i i thought that was amazing i was i even turned to you in the theater before even the whole plot twist happened with him having an affair with emma thompson i was like is hugh dancy turning into hugh grant <laughs> i was just so excited at the concept that like hugh grant has passed the torch onto hugh dancy that's that's actually pretty funny and and they they do a very good job of like making him seem like oh this guy flirts you know quite a bit with mindy but yeah, it looks like he cares like right and the thing is like everybody knows about his like ways everyone the entire writer's room is like not surprised yeah so i think that speaks to the culture of you know men are not going to ride each other out right that's one so isn't yeah, that they part, all know isn't about that a rule <laughs> I, they all I knew guess. about it and even um, what's his face? I don't know what his character's name is. Are you talking uh, about the monologue writer? Yes, the monologue writer who I know as Dan on Veep. Uh, that's oh. how I know him. But I know you don't watch Veep. Uh, I don't Veep, watch but Veep. Yeah, yeah, you don't watch but, Veep. Um, but so the monologue writer, he even shows up at Mindy Kaling's house, and he's like, or not even. I think he just talks to her in the street, and he's like, "So you." found out or something yeah uh the, his name is tom tom in, in the movie he's played it by reed tom scott. reed scott okay so um i just thought that was totally intriguing and a nice twist because and the thing is it could have been such a like a dirty kind of uh, twist where you're like it, you kind of feel um, mad towards Emma Thompson and feel like she deserves it and kind of like slut shame her. I think that's everyone's first reaction, but the way that Emma Thompson plays it is so nuanced and so vulnerable and emotional, but then she's so strong at the same time when Mindy Kaling goes to her house and is like, we got to, we got to write about this. You got to address it in your monologue. We have to, you know, kind of get ahead of this and you have to tell your side of the story. And she's basically like, what What are you talking about? Um, why would I call more attention to this? You know, people are saying it's it's terrible what I did. And I. the thing is, it is. It is terrible what I did, Lana. And I can't forgive myself. And 
you know, I love my my husband and I did it when it was a very tough time. He had just been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and he was having a tough time, wasn't communicating with me. And so I did, I made a mistake and I'll, I'll never be able to live it down. And it was just such a emotional and understandable reaction. Yeah. And you can see how visibly tortured she is by what she did and she she already probably felt like shit and then it gets blown up in the media and her husband like basically like kind of separate for a little bit because he he needs time to to away from her for because he she freaking cheated on him so it was just i mean instead of feeling bad for the cheater you i mean instead of feeling mean or or you're pointing fingers at, at emma thompson she's obviously a cheater she's done wrong definitely um but you definitely don't feel that way about her you feel sympathetic toward her and you feel that she can be redeemed um even though she is so mean to mindy kaling and she is so crappy toward her staff and she wasn't really trying for so many years to make her show great and then all of a sudden she's like we're gonna do it i'm not leaving i don't want to um lose the show this is my show and suddenly taking ownership over right. something that she hadn't yeah so it it's difficult it's hard because that's a hard thing to do to make the audience feel like that it really is and to have an audience audience engage with what you're doing after not engaging them at all for so long it's a hard switch to just turn on out of nowhere, especially when you are very comfortable with your complacency. And oh, yeah. This so you're talking about within the narrative? Within the narrative. Okay. And so when they're finally trying to snap out of it, you know, they're trying to throw everything at the wall to see what sticks. But yeah. at the same time, you know, Emma Thompson's character is so resistant to it. Because she yeah. she feels like it's beneath her, like having to change. Oh yeah, she's her so ways. prideful. Yeah, like she has this disdain for social media and for all these upcoming stars who come through on YouTube and she, mm -hmm. like the way she views it. Like she wants to have smart conversations. She's a comedian, but she still wants to have smart conversations. I think she's an intellectual comedian, and we've definitely those are. <laughs> now very popular. Yeah, uh, Colbert brings you know rings yeah. to mind a bit yeah. with mm -hmm. that. John Stewart, you know, rings you know kind of similar in that way. And so when they're trying to revamp her, I thought one of the best points while also dunking on another <laughs> talk show host <laughs> was when they brought up uh, Jimmy Fallon. They brought yeah. him up in the movie. And it was like, do you know who was on Jimmy Fallon tonight? Robert Downey Jr. And they were giving a bath to an alpaca. It did fucking ratings. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, and but for her, she's like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I'm, you know, so. Yeah. She doesn't want to pander to the masses. She wants, she doesn't want to be relevant to the masses. She wants the masses to be relevant to her like she wants the opposite exactly and so 
Which is very pretentious. That's it so is. pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> it so really again, is. like it's not a positive trait, but she Emma Thompson sells it and I I love that conversation between her and um I don't know what her name is, but she's also from the office. Yeah, she is. Um she's the pr- who is she? The CEO of the company? Yeah, she the head she, of the network. Yeah, she's the head of the network. Yeah. Yeah. So another uh, strong female who I thought that any time they, they were having an interaction, it was uh, even. It was evenly matched. It was. Because... And I thought that's that's like another thing you don't... We rarely see. Sometimes you have your protagonist or... or and you're pretty... Obviously, a, this is a tiny lesson. Your protagonist doesn't need to be a good person. So I don't think Emma Thompson is necessarily a good person. No. But it, when you have your protagonist go in... And have a conversation with somebody as an argument. I think the thing that that is often happening is that the protagonist is, is going in and they're winning automatically. Winning the argument and making their point. I think that when she talks with the head of the network, it is very evenly matched. And the head of the network is bringing up valid points. Do you care that I enjoy your comedy? That I find you funny? And she was like, no, I don't. I don't care what you think. And she's like, well, you should, because I basically have a handle on your entire career. Yes. So. <laughs> I mean, it, it's great points that she brings up. And to the point that speaking of her career, she's looking to possibly replace her because yeah. of the, you know, the steady decline on the ratings. And she's looking to bring in a, a comic by the name of Daniel Tennant, who is played by Tenet, Ike Barinholtz. Yeah. And. <laughs> He's kind of basically a a Dane Cook. Yeah, pretty much. It's kind of like Dane Cook back in 2007. And, (laughs) you know, I think Dane Cook did have like some talk about him getting his own type of show, uh, you know, when he was pretty popular and high, you know, in his uh, height of popularity in his prime. Mm -hmm. And so I think. Mindy is basically just calling back to that narrative that happened at one point in in real life. And uh, we don't see those type of comics anymore. At least not that much. Like Oh, they've gone out of fashion. Yeah, they I don't have. think anyone would be, would be if you consider yourself kind of like uh, worldly and you know, you're a feminist and all this stuff. I don't think that you're gonna feel good about going to see like dane cook live or something right or any type of comic like that that's very uh vulgar just for this or very frat boy yeah like i don't know i think you got if you know dane cook and his jokes and you're like oh i know exactly what kind of comic that is um but yeah so to be replaced as the only in this, in this universe, she is the only female late night host to ever like be around and to replace her with this guy. It just like flies in the face of everything that she has been putting out and believing. And it's just like a slap in the face because he is not cultured and, Definitely not a feminist, and at, at least his comedy isn't. <laughs> um, not at all. And for it to be a boys' club again, I don't think she. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
it's a step backward versus a step forward. Exactly. So she really, she gets some, some energy after that to, to kind of keep the show in her hands. And I, I think that'll um, lead us to, you know, some of the best scenes, some of the best jokes or best moments. Yeah. Um, because once she starts interacting with the writers, yes, like stuff, just the funny keeps get. It's just snowballs from there. Right. Like the, the entire bit is- of her calling her staff by numbers. And then like <laughs> one of the writers, but like, it's, do we it's have to punctuated? Pu- right. By like, she didn't know a writer died. Right. It was on her staff that she liked. Lord. She didn't know that he died like years ago. Yeah, I know. Which was crazy. because Which she was never... funny, but also like so like busted. Yeah. Uh, it, awful. Awful. Yeah. That's an awful thing. Like, Anyway, you were saying something. Yeah, I was saying that after she calls them all by number instead of by name, <laughs> yeah. uh, the one of the writers is like, do we have to call each other by number or could we call each other by name? <laughs> and she was like, just learn the numbers. <laughs> so I think yeah. there's some really fun interplay. I think when they allow Catherine, because the type of comic that she has become, at least in her complacent state, is non-political doesn't really mm-hmm. make jokes at her expense or about herself or what she can talk about since she's the yeah. only female in late night comedy. Uh, right. So when they finally open up those avenues, she starts, you know, showing more of herself. And mm-hmm. that's something that Mindy Kaling, her character, uh, tries to bring out of Catherine Newberry, tries to bring out of her like that old, like she grew up like loving Catherine Newberry. She's a fan. Yeah. She's a huge fan. And just the way she was able to get the interview is hilarious. Like she was able to win some type of contest that allowed her to meet a CEO. So she met the CEO of like the parent company of the network. Yeah. To able to get the interview for for a job. So which I think that to most people that's like, yeah, right. That would never happen. But if you like in my situation, that would totally work because we're a privately held company underneath a large conglomerate. And so if you meet the owner of the conglomerate, absolutely, you're going to get an interview wherever the hell you want. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So when she was said that, I was like, oh, that's backward. But yeah, that, that'll work. <laughs> <laughs> that'll work. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, so I, I really like that moment. I love some of the jokes that they get her to say. One of my favorite bits is white savior. Mm. Uh, oh my God. I know. It's I think so that's great. also in the trailer a little bit. Yeah. It's a little bit in the trailer. And so like the one in the trailer is like, what is something normal that you would be able to do or wouldn't be able to do that I should be able to do? And it's like, I have a tough time getting a cab. It's like, I think we can fix that. So she hails the cab and then they're like, well, we don't really need to go anywhere. Well, I'm sorry. That's not how white savior works. (laughs) Which is basically like she's kind of doing like a Billy on the street type of deal. Yeah. That's pretty much what she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And then somebody else, you know, is like, what can I do for you? And don't make it something large, like systemic. I can't solve the patriarchy in this one bit. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. It just seems so genuine. Like also like it didn't feel like Emma Thompson was memorizing lines. No. If you understand, like, do you understand what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I know what you mean. Like yeah. it, it was like almost coming it off the so cuff natural. for her. Yes. Yeah. So natural. And, and you see it, it, there's a main point in the movie. She does a stand up bit. Um, after she fires, uh, Mindy she fires Kaling's, Mindy Kaling. Yeah. Because Mindy Kaling is trying to do like this benefit for, uh, lung cancer research because her dad passed away from that. So mm-hmm. she surprises Mindy and she tries to do like, she's testing out material. You could tell. Yeah. And so first she tries to rail against social media. It's not working. That crowd. And is I love how she pro- says that's not working. That's not working. Like. Thinking through the issue of like, how am I going to get this crowd? Right. So then she starts talking about her age. She starts talking about herself and she starts doing it in a bit of a self-deprecating manner. She's Mm. like, um, you know, they want to take away my show. You know, they want to put in someone younger. And that's the problem with Hollywood. It's the man always they can go on forever. The woman has to stay young, you know. Tom, me and Tom Cruise, we're the same age. He gets to fight the mummy. I am the mummy. <laughs> but then she corrects herself and she goes, no, no, no. I wouldn't be the mummy. They would get someone like Anne Hathaway to play the mummy. <laughs> <laughs> I lost it in the theater. I don't think anyone was really like caught up in that joke, but I lost. I had to like stifle my laughing. Oh, it was it was such a poignant joke. Because you can see it happening. Yes. One of the... One of the biggest things that I remember hearing from just a couple years ago when the movie Man of Steel came out is yeah. that Robert Downey Jr. and Diane Lane are very, very close in age. Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man and Diane Lane is playing the mom to Superman. So, <laughs> Right, right. And it's just embarrassing. It's so embarrassing, this <laughs> oh, double man. standard. And she calls attention to it in her stand-up, and it totally works. She sells the crowd. Yeah, she she gets the crowd, and that's when she realizes she needs to she needs to open up more. She needs to open yeah. up about herself, about mm-hmm. what's going on in today's issues. She's going to get politicals because that's what got her in the first place mm-hmm. through the door. So she goes back to that. So mm-hmm. uh, one of uh, <laughs> a, a, a joke that I really liked. It's when uh, Tom comes to visit Minnie Kaling after. Oh, my God. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> yes. I already know which one it is. And like talking about the apartment. Because she lives with her aunt and uncle in Brooklyn. Yeah. Right. Right. It's Brooklyn. And um, her room is like a little girl's room. It's like very childish. Yeah. And he's like and young. You know, you're going to get a job and you're going to get an apartment. Not this apartment. <laughs> this apartment. I can't remember what he says because. No, he's like looking at the decor and she's kind of like crying and really like in her feelings. And he's like, wow, I love this room. And she's like, oh, don't start. And he goes, are you excited about getting your period? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fabulous. It's fabulous. Oh, and when he walks in through the door, she's like, don't say anything. No, it's a nice place for a middle-aged Indian woman. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I just um, that's something else that's super surprising about this movie is that you think the love interest is going to be um, Hugh Grant. I mean, Hugh Dancy. There you go. And <laughs> it ends up being Tom. And Tom was like her biggest hater. Yeah. Completely hated her. her. Biggest hater. Because, well, it all starts because Tom is trying to get his brother a job. Because yeah. somebody had just gotten fired. And so he's trying to get his brother a job. And it just happens to be at the same time they're trying to find a woman for the job. So his brother couldn't get the job. So, and then at the same time, Mindy is viewing Tom, you know, as a, you know, a kid. It's all based on what's the word uh when it's all family that gets promoted and everything why am i blanking on the word oh uh, they even mentioned in the movie i can't believe i'm blanking on this word but basically uh, preference uh, preference is one nepotism there we go oh nepotism is the word that i was looking for but yeah that it's all nepotism because even tom uh, his father was some type of executive. So, you know, it's almost like a legacy thing that he's working mm. in TV, but yeah. Tom's actually pretty good. And he actually works hard at his job. Like you see a montage because mm-hmm. Tom is explaining how the day goes and you'll see like the other writers are just slacking off or just sleeping or doing whatever. And Tom mm-hmm. is like actually at his computer. He's at work. He's like trying to do jokes and everything. So, like he knows what he wants to do, but he's he extremely has- possessive of yes. the monologue, though. And when she gets assigned to the monologue, <laughs> he goes, I don't have time to train her and like teach her like the ropes. And she's like, no, 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 I don't think you Emma Thompson's like, I don't think you understand. She is going to write jokes with you and there is no teaching. She has the same job as you. And she kind of puts him in his place because he was on this power trip with the monologue the entire time. Yeah. Totally. And so uh, it. So I never all of this and the bickering and just him being super negative toward her and unwelcoming. And I was like, this is never going to fly. And then about about halfway through the movie, I was like, wait a second. Wait a second. (laughs) Am I seeing what I'm really seeing here? And yeah, those sparks were real. Yeah, they were. They they cultivate into something like an actual thing. Yeah. Super surprising. Super surprising. Uh, one more thing I do want to mention. Uh, we actually, besides the name drop of Jimmy Fallon, we actually get another late night host, and that's Seth Meyers. Oh, my God. Yeah. Seth Meyers, uh, <laughs> after Mindy Kaling gets fired from her job, completely gets fired. Uh, she tries to go to get a job with Seth Meyers. Seth Meyers wants to ask, like, what is it like working for Catherine Newberry? And so Mindy Kaling can't shut up because mm-hmm. like she keeps saying like, oh, she's great, but, you know, she's really tough. And the, she she's not open to and like just keeps rambling. And Seth Meyers is like, so if we could talk about your jokes, <laughs> I think they're really good. And the, she just keeps going. Uh, I thought it was yeah. a pretty nice bit. Yeah. I like the addition of Seth Meyers, too, because it's like it's a bit of um I don't want to say that because before we were like, oh, in this world, like Emma Thompson is the only female late night host. And really, the world is supposed to be present day, like this world. Yeah, it is. Where Seth Meyers and Jimmy Fallon and all these people exist. Right. And at one point, like after the affair gets out, like even Bill Maher 
has oh. something to say about Catherine Newberry. So yeah, so so yeah, she's living in today's times. She's basically mm-hmm. she's been inserted in today today's times. So yeah, yeah. I thought it was so well done. This movie, if if you enjoy comedies and you're a fan of like late night stuff, I, I would really give. The this thing is, I look. like comedy. And I don't really do late night and I still like this movie. Yeah. So look at that. So you have someone who really enjoys late night and someone who's not really into it. And we both came away really enjoying this movie because I, it's just really What's smart. the most that I do for late night? I think I watch carpool karaoke. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh, the type of thing that, you know, Catherine Newberry would hate to do. Right. Right. But exactly. So anyway, um, I just think it was so uh, refreshing. And um, I thought that her ending monologue was like such an emotional high. Yeah, it was. Do, do you remember like just her delivery and just how she was trying to like keep it together and it's not that she was like on the verge of falling apart on camera i just thought she was so powerful and control um understanding of her audience and i just i also loved how they make fun of her when she says for the first time off script i hope i've earned the privilege of your time yes her catchphrase and it becomes her catchphrase yeah and, you know, after addressing all of her scandal on air during her monologue, which is something she didn't want to do at first, she was very averse to doing, um, you know, she says, I, I hope I've earned the privilege of your time. Dear God, I hope I've earned the privilege of your time. It's such a well-delivered line. I think she is amazing mm-hmm. in this movie. And I I highly recommend if you want to see something funny, but that has, you know, some sort of meaning or that's, you know, poignant mm-hmm. in some way. Meaning. I like that word. This mm-hmm. movie is definitely it. So highly recommend Late Night. Uh, check it out in theaters. And I think that's going to wrap it up for us. Um, so that was another. We hope billing. we've earned the privilege of your time. <laughs> uh, if. You do feel like we have earned the privilege of your time. Uh, show us. Let us know. Uh, you can follow us on social media at Always Critic Pod. You could find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want to read some stuff that we've written, we actually have some mo- movie reviews from movies that we don't talk about in the podcast, but other movies. Like, for example, I wrote a piece on The Dead Don't Die, a movie that just came out this past weekend. Starring Adam Driver and Bill Murray. Check that out. Uh, If you want to subscribe and listen to us. Because we have more episodes coming out. And you can always go back and listen to our old episodes. You can go to whatever podcast app you have. And search Always the Critic Podcast. Well, that's our show. I'm Rico. And I'm Jessica. And this has been the Always the Critic Podcast. 